Hello everyone, Titus O'Reilly here. As you may know by now, we have a membership program, Bazaar Plus, for people that love Sports Bazaar. As a member, you'll get all the normal episodes, of course. You'll get behind-the-scenes access. You'll get a weekly bonus podcast. You'll get a fortnightly newsletter, access to members-only chat room, the ability to vote on future episodes, and, of course, early access to any live shows we do. And it's very easy to join. Just go to the link in the show notes for this podcast or go to bizarreplus.com. That's Bizarre Plus, our membership program. We'd love to have you on board. It's Sports Bizarre. I'm going to kick back and enjoy this. Some of these stories, you would say, that cannot be true. The hunt for the weirdest. It's a real rollercoaster ride, this one, isn't it? <laughs> it makes Game of Thrones look like a sitcom. <laughs> Strangest. There you go. He's on another level. What are you doing? <laughs> a lot of our stories that start with someone <laughs> fleeing moneylenders. Most unbelievable. This is a car crash. Stories to ever occur. Let's stop this right now. <laughs> it's just carnage. That is the densest bit of mayhem. So many <laughs> subplots in this story. In the world of sport. I think we're learning that embarrassment is not something. Sports Bizarre. A naked fan ran onto the field and slid into second base. <laughs> no, I don't drink water. I cannot stand drinking water. I am the president of everybody. I am the president of the whole FIFA. <laughs> Opened his mouth and a sparrow flew out. It's time for the leaders of the hunt. It's really simple. Get there early, get the good back. It's <laughs> Titus O'Reilly. And Mick Malloy. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the latest episode of Sports Bazaar with myself, Mick Malloy, and of course, Titus O'Reilly. I say it every week, doing all the heavy lifting. Uh, what have you got for us this week? I know nothing, by the way. Well, exactly. This is one that I think you're going to like. This is a story that it's got a few bits in it that when the penny drops for people as they listen, They'll go, oh my, I didn't know this. And this okay. is about something that everyone would know about but probably doesn't know the story to it. Oh, right? So, yeah. so we're starting. You had me at a bit of a mystery. <laughs> it's a All bit right. of a mystery. Far away. So we're going to start off. We're in the town of. Now, I'm going to do a lot of German pronunciation here. Oh, this should be fun. <laughs> <laughs> They've got a uh, word for everything, the Germans. You're going to do it like Colonel Clink? Well, I think. Hogan! The odds of you and I getting through this without a few very bad German impressions. Oh, can I? Can I my boys, they're 10. Yeah. Did this joke to me the other day. Uh, knock, knock. Who's there? The Gestapo. Gestapo who? Viva last the question! <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad we're getting this out of the way early. <laughs> so there is a town in Germany. It's called Herzengen. Orak is the name. It's a Bavarian town. It's 20 kilometers outside Nuremberg. Yep. So it was formed in the year 1002. So okay. true small medieval sure. Bavarian German town. I'm think, seeing beer steins, yeah, malt houses. Yeah, like, surrounded by forest. Yeah. Literally like that, right? At the time we're going to go to, it's around the turn of the century, around 1890s into the 1900s is where we're going to start our All story. right. All right. right. So in this tiny town, it's got 4,000 people. Yep. Now, this family that we're going to be talking about, the parents are Christoph and Pauline Dassler. Mm-hmm. Now, they are from a long line, as this town is known for, very small town, of weavers. So textile industry is very big in this town. But it's okay. been overtaken by industrialization That'll around be right. the time. So this family has been very proud weavers. They have to find another job. Another way of... Making a living in the making world. Making a living. Now, the father, Christoph, he learns the art of shoemaking. So this is where he goes into. 
and the town becomes a shoemaking town basically to replace the loss of all the weaving. Right. The mum is operating a small laundry service out of the house. Yep. And her daughter Marie is also would help. And they've got three boys as well. So they've got Fritz. <laughs> Sounding a bit von Trappy, I've got to say. Rudolph uh. and Adolf. Okay, am I putting all the pieces together? Yeah, they're more German names than Fritz, Rudolph, and Adolf at this time. Well, Adolf isn't that popular. Fritz has anymore. fallen out too, but not for the same reasons. So Fritz, Rudolph, and Adolf. Uh, Fritz is the oldest. <laughs> Rudolph is the uh, third child yeah. after Marie. Fritz is born in 1892. Marie's 1894. Rudolph is 1898. And Adolf is born in the year 1900. Right. So... They all will help the mum by delivering all the laundry around town. Now, right. Adolf Dassler is the youngest of these boys and he's a bit different to the other boys, a bit more of an introvert, a bit more thoughtful than the other boys. Sure. The other boys are a bit, you know, true German rambunctious kind of out there yeah. physically running around and everything. Enjoying Oktoberfest. Yeah, 80 as he's often called, but Adolf. He's the youngest. He is much more of a thinker, but he's very into sports and he loves games. And so this is when sport's not really set up in any major way, but he does things like he carves sticks into javelins, he finds stones that he can use as a shot put, he drags his best friend who's the son of the town blacksmith. So we're very much right. in almost a medieval town, right, yeah. when we're talking, even though it's uh, 1900. They'd take him for long runs in the forest and the meadows. So it's a very bucolic <laughs> kind of upbringing, right? <laughs> All right. In 1913, Adolf completes his high school education in accordance with what his dad wants. So his dad's like, I want you to go become a baker after school. So he finishes sure. high school. His dad wants him to finish high school and then go get an, become an apprentice baker, which he does. But he hates the bakery. He's interested in sports He doesn't like the hours. Who would be a baker? Exactly. Oh, it's just the minute the hours come up, <laughs> it's just a line through baker. Plus, I would eat so many donuts if I was a baker, I'd be dead already. Oh, man. <laughs> one for you, one for me. Exactly. So he loves sports, but he decides, I'll do this, right? I'll stick with the bakery. But while he's doing it, he's also learning from his dad about shoemaking because his dad's always making shoes at home. If you're baking in Germany, I'll tell you what you're baking. Yeah. Pretzels. And the giant one, the pretzels. Ones. The giant yeah, yeah, pretzels. Yeah, yeah. So I went to Berlin. I've got to tell you straight off the bat, the best pub food in the world is in Germany. The best pubs are in Germany. The best beer guns in Germany. But the first time I laid eyes on a giant pretzel, love it was love it. It was just leave me alone with this pretzel, please. For I, a did few a, I did a few hours. Unbelievable. How good is that? That'd be if the best beer gardens, best pub food, yeah. best pretzels. Mm. Germany would have to be high on your list of favourite places. I mean, right? Berlin's my favourite city in the world. Yeah. If someone said you can only live in one city for the rest of your life, yeah. choose it now, it would be Berlin. Really? Absolutely. And for those aforementioned reasons. I had Dubbo, I would have guessed. <laughs> Here's the other thing. The first time you go around to Berlin and you see everything they built in that particular era, yeah. you walk around and you go, how did they lose this wall? Because it's the most imposing place oh, yeah, I've ever yeah, yeah. seen in my life. That Russian front cost them. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> we could all be called Fritz right now, I'm telling you. you could, your boys could be Fritz and Adolf. Because yeah. <laughs> um, he loves sport. He's yeah. working the bakery, but he's watching his dad do all the stuff with the shoes at home. His dad said he had to be a baker. Dad was just obsessed with him becoming a baker. 
Like that was his idea of a solid job, you know. And it's still a town where everyone goes and gets an apprenticeship. Yeah. So and and there's basically shoemaking, blacksmith, the candlestick maker. Like we're at that level of <laughs> yeah. industry, right? So there's not lots of options. Fishmonger. Is there yeah, a fishmonger? Fish, there'd be a fishmonger. Although it's probably not that close to the sea. So, but anyway. Be a baker. Don't be the fishmonger. An inland fishmaker. Have you got any fish? No. <laughs> Closed again. I'm going to get people writing in going, there are such things as lakes and rivers. And I, I do get that. But anyway, he starts looking at his dad making shoes. And then he's always running and playing all these sports. He starts to have this idea. And you got to remember, this is a pretty amazing idea. Now it seems like obvious yeah at the time when sports are not big and there's no money there's not really that organized he starts to think if athletes have shoes that are specifically designed for their specific sport yeah it should make them much better at their sport like we should be able to improve their out it's their where ability. the rubber meets the road yeah so he's thinking things Port. like some will need hard, some will be softer leather some will be stronger some will need different grips some will need spikes yeah he started thinking all of this before anyone had really thought about it. But at the time, he's like literally 16 yeah. working as a baker. But his dad's a shoemaker. So he's starting to think, well, this is interesting. Now, they're all a very happy family. Then World War One breaks out, obviously, in August 1914. And the two oldest ones, Fritz and Rudolph, <laughs> are sent off to war. And they're like many people, or most of the Germans and the British at the time, they think, we'll be gone a month and then we'll be, the war will be over and we'll be back. Yeah. But instead, and they're there from the start of the war, these two older brothers, they're there for four years in the trenches of Flanders, sure. like not having a great time. Not a barrel of laughs. It was the worst Contiki no. tour they've ever had <laughs> in Europe. Then just months before, they don't know this, the war's about them, but they don't know this, Adolf Dassler gets drafted in as a 17-year-old and has to go off and join his brothers at the well, front. Okay. So all three brothers are off at the front. Now, they all come back at the end of World War One, all are unharmed, but they're all being quite hardened by this experience. Changed by the experience. So, yeah. They come home and they find that their mother's laundry is completely empty. Yeah. And they say, what's going on? And she's like, well, with all the war and no one had any money and all the men are away and everything, no one can afford to pay for laundry. And Germany is flat broke after the war. You know, there have been yeah, right. sanctions imposed yeah. on them and everything. They're like, we don't have it. So they're suddenly without their mum's income, which is quite yeah. substantial. So Rudolph goes off and gets a job as a salesman at a porcelain factory in Nuremberg and then enters the leather trading business. Adolf decides, I'm going to give up the bakery. He finishes his apprenticeship, but like he's almost done. He doesn't want to be a baker. He, and the minute he finishes it, he says, Dad, I did it. I can yeah. go be a baker, but I want to take over the laundry, what was the laundry, and set up a shoe business. So they let him do that. He wants to follow in his dad's footsteps. He his does. His dad he's should like, be proud. But he's also just obsessed that. with this, right? Like right. he's obsessed about shoes as we all are yeah. so after the first world war germany's totally broke so he is earning a living by he's repairing shoes but he also spends lots of his days going around the countryside getting what has been left by retreating soldiers anything's useful so he get helmets and he cut the strips of leather yeah. from them to make shoes what type of shoes is he making he's making like what would be almost considered today work boots right. heavy leather Sort of things, and not he's also, your Leidenhausen style. No, no, he's not doing the. It's <laughs> not, not doing, doing the full ones. So these are work boots and sporting boots he's making too. Gotcha. Right? He's finding old parachutes and army sacks and using them. He's making slippers as well. So he's doing anything he can to make sure. a bit of money. Also, because of Germany's in such trouble, there's not a lot of electricity. It goes off and on all the time. 
So he actually builds, and there's a great photo of this, he builds a bike that's mounted and it's connected to belts and a wooden beam and all this sort of stuff. And he puts his first employee, a guy called Sepp Erdhart, he has to sit and pedal the machine to turn all the wow. lathes. And that all actually the, happened. And that actually happens and they've got a great photo of it. So it's, it's rudimentary. <laughs> so his friend who is a blacksmith starts making him spikes for track shoes. Right. So he's actually making yeah. them from scratch for him. But they didn't invent this though, that this is already done. People had done spikes done, done before spikes and stuff, but he keeps making little improvements to gotcha. it all the time. Lighter weight materials, all this sort of stuff. He starts sending them all around to places and he eventually uh, gets to the point where three years in, Rudolph comes back and he's learned how to do sales. And Rudolph is a big outgoing guy. 80 is the karma more just he yeah. Adolf just wants to focus on making shoes. Rudolph wants to go and front of house. Shoes. Front of house. So Rudy wanted to be a police officer and he'd done his training, but then he sees how well his brother's shoe business is starting to go and he says, Why don't I come help you? And Eddie's thrilled because he's like, I don't want Fantastic. I, just, if I can spend all my time designing and building and you can do all the time selling. That works for me. And it goes really well. So they named their company Gebruder Dassler Shoe Fabric, which means the Brothers Dassler Shoe Factory, right? Right. They shorten it to Geta, G-E-D-A. So Geta from Gebruder, so do the G-E from Gebruder, yep. and D-A from the start of their surname, Dassler. And they rake in orders and they start getting them in spikes for running in it's athletic fantastic. and soccer boots, right? To the point where they get so big they have to leave the laundry and they move to an empty factory on the other side of a river that they're near and there's a river down the middle of this town called the Orac River, which becomes important later. Gee, that'd be good for your fishmonger. The fishmonger. He's, <laughs> he's going all right in this yeah. town. Right. So Jeddah's grown to 12 employees and they're producing 100 shoes a day. Wow. And the word starts to get out that these guys make really good athletic shoes, right? Yeah. They're better than the other shoes. And so one day a motorbike pulls up out the front of their factory it's a guy called Joseph Weitzer, and he's the coach of the German Olympic track and field team. Here we go. And he's heard about these guys. He comes in and he thinks I'm just going to pop in and look at their shoes. Anyway, he ends up talking to them for like hours. Do they know who he is? They know who he is. He, right. he introduces himself. They know who he is. They've heard of him. Yeah. And Aidy and him both obsessive about getting better performance out of athletes. Aidy's yep. a big runner. They become very close and they're almost having like philosophical discussions around shoes, you know, and sport and all this. Wow. And so they start running together and spending hours just chatting. And so he's bringing all this knowledge of the athletes from the Olympic team. Yeah, yeah. And 80s coming back with, well, we could do this, we could do that, we could come up with this way if we cut the shoe a different way and for the different sports and track and field too. So this is like beginning this thing. So in the 1928 Olympics, Joseph Weitzer says, why don't you target the 928 Amsterdam Olympic Games and give out a bunch of your shoes to my track things and if they win gold, it's going to be good for you. Absolutely. He convinces this runner, middle distance runner, Lena Radke, he gives her a pair of shoes he's developed just for her. It's got six spikes, which is more than the normally have at yep. this point. She wins the 800-metre gold medal and sets a world record. Wow. So instantly, 80 gets flooded with, people saying, can we yeah. get your shoes? Put us on a list. So the getter shoes are just becoming more and more popular. In Germany, everyone's wearing them. 
1930, Joseph Weitz has started to basically become an advisor for technical stuff to them. So they are basically the, part of the organisation. They're the then. shoemakers to the German Olympic team. Gotcha. Now, right? So this is all going incredibly well for them. Rudy's bachelor year is about to come to an end where he meets, he's on a train station in Nuremberg. He's in his sort of late 20s and he meets an 18-year-old Friedel Strasser and her younger sister Betty and their cousin. So these three girls. He goes up and chats to them. Betty doesn't sound very German. <laughs> no. Friedel. It, it, can I say it's spelled B-E-T-T-I? You all out. Friedel. Very German. <laughs> Very German. Now, he starts chatting up these three girls. They agree to sit with him on the train. Sure. By the time they reach their destination, Friedel's agreed to date him and they get married in 928, right? And she instantly gives birth to a guy called Armin Adolf Dassler. Now, he will become important if we do future episodes on this, right? He becomes a big <laughs> deal. This okay. has got layers and layers in it. All right. The 32 Olympics come around and Germany do very well all wearing his shoes. Aidy actually decides to go to the shoe technical school in Germany. Yep. It's known as the shoe town. He goes there and learns all these things about techniques, model building, and he meets a guy called Franz Martz who is a renowned shoe mould producer. <laughs> right. Okay. You know, which is quite the bragging rights. Hello, ladies. Here's my card. <laughs> I am a uh, shoe mould. He's a daughter called Katarina, and it's pronounced Kata is her shortened name. Yep. And she's his daughter, and she's 16, 80 by this point in his early 20s, and they ended up married. They get married in 1934. There is not age of consent laws like we would expect, well, but there's not that big a difference. She's 16. And she moves in with 80 and the family. The family are all basically living in pretty much the same thing. They've built next to the factory a villa three levels yeah she moves back with them and she gives him five children one of them the oldest horse dazzler he ends up very good friends with Havalange, our fifa friend if you go back to yeah i reckon i know where this, is, know where this is going now rudolph's wife friedel is very old german female kind of views of i'll look after the kids cook dinner and i won't say much yeah kata is very self-assertive even though she's 16 She's looks after the, her husband and all that, but she also wants to like have opinions. This okay. starts to cause a few problems. <laughs> right. While this is all going on, and they're, so they're at the top of their shoemaking height at this yeah. moment. They're, they're the biggest sports shoemaker in Germany. In Germany, right? Good on them. Now, interesting in Germany, you might have heard of this. This takes us around to we're in like the early 30s in Germany. Yeah. There's a bit going on in the early 30s of Germany. We're between wars. We're between the wars and while they're absolutely thriving, a guy called, not to be confused with Adolf Batchelor, but you probably heard of this guy, Adolf Hitler and the National Socialist Germans Workers' Party. Ringing a bell. May uh, 1933, he becomes Chancellor. And three months after that, in May 1st, 1933, the three Dassler brothers joined the Nazi Party. Good call. Not a great... <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Who knew at that stage, I'm not a great student of history, but Germany was on the ropes, right? They were. It was, and there's a lot of people who joined the Nazi party because one, in lots of places, it was hard not to, right? Yes, like if you didn't, you, you, yeah. you were outsiders. A lot of people thought this is the way to get way ahead, to get out right? And it was. And the brothers all have different views on this. Nazism turned out to be fantastic for them in the short term. Okay. So the Fuhrer regards sport as 
the main way to encourage discipline, comradeship, and there's the white supremacy supremacy access as the propaganda value. He loves the contest of people against people. So sport is kind of his thing. And he wants to build up an army of athletic men. Sure. He actually wrote in Mein Kampf, and I can't believe we're in about episode 40 now. It's taken us 40 episodes to start quoting from Mein Kampf. <laughs> You've got a well-thumbed copy It's you're reading a, from. It's just a, so many insights. Yeah. Uh, given that he wrote this, this is a Hitler, give the nation six million impeccably trained bodies, all impregnated with fanatical patriotism and animated with the most fervent fighting spirit, in less than two years if need be, the nation state will turn them into an army. You can sort of see where he's hint, going. Hint, hint. That's the thing about Hitler. He said everything he was going to do and yet everyone went, oh, I can't believe he's doing this. Where did we that all, come from? Where did that come from? Oh, he wrote in his book quite detailed. <laughs> so he's encouraging sport. So he's putting a lot of money into sport yeah. and the Hitler youth camp start up and all these sort of things. So shoe sales are going through the roof. Rudolf is the more ardent Nazi, right? He is more, he's embraced it. He's really embraced it. 80 is more doesn't care about politics almost. He's just into selling shoes and making yeah. shoes and sport. And so if joining the Nazi party sells more shoes, he's fine with it. He's thinking, what's the best shoe to goose step in? <laughs> he's going, is, yeah. is there a soul that we should be, what should we, we be trialing? We more support for the goose stepping. <laughs> That'd be good because they chew through boots. Oh, yeah. They? They're all. They're all like, that stamping on the ground. It's all that standing at attention. And oh. There's a lot to take in. Probably his idea, the whole goose stepping. This is a way to wear out shoes. Yes. I love a good strange army march, though. There's other countries and they have very odd ways of marching, that theatrical well, style of marching. There's a lot of theatre to the, the marching <laughs> and the costumes, the hats, big hats. We talked about this, North Korea. I think most wars start because men want an excuse to dress up in flamboyant uniforms and then you end up with an army and you have to fight them. It's like golf. I've got this theory that golf, allows straight men to dress like gay guys. Yeah, yeah, The only yeah. Way place you can wear like a pink pants yeah. and like a tie-dye kind of top and a beanie with a pom-pom. Or a funny hat or something, yeah. Or tuck your pants into your socks. Yeah. It's, it's on a golf masculinity it's, sneaky way of just saying, show you. Show, yeah. I can show my flamboyance <laughs> in this little arena. Anyway, go so on. So while Rudolph's the true Nazi in the family and Fritz, the older brother's into it a bit too, Aidy does identify, well, we can become a supplier to the Hitler youth movement because they're doing a lot of sport. They've seen an opening. So he's certainly embracing elements of Nazism here. Yeah, in a commercial way. Just a commercial way, yeah. They're the only company in Germany at the time that's producing sports shoes. So they just have all the market. They've got 100% of the yeah. German market. Yeah. It's booming. Now, the Olympic Games have been given to Germany two years before the Nazis get into power, but Hitler obviously sees it as this is the great propaganda. Sure. If we can show Eyes how, of the world. Yeah, we can show we how good Germany is rebounding from World War One, how great we are as Nazis, and if we can do a little bit of white people defeating black people. That wouldn't hurt. That certainly helps his view of the world. So Gerda's shoes are all being used by all the sports shoes from the German teams. They're all wearing them. AD knows that you want to win gold medals to sell more shoes, right? So this shows he's not really a keen Nazi. He hears that Jesse Owens is coming and he's probably going to win a lot of gold medals. Now, Jesse Owens, for those that don't know, is a black American. Famously won the 100 metres at Berlin. Yeah. He 
is the one that basically ruined in front the party. Of Hitler ruined the party because yeah. he won a lot of gold medals. Now he is desperate to get his shoes on Jesse Owens' feet. Well, this is not a good career move, I would have thought. Because he thinks, well, internationally, this will yes, you, but you know, domestically, yeah, could raise issues. So he gets into the Berlin Olympics, obviously, because he's doing all the German athletes' shoes. And often he's doing repairs in real time. So he brings his whole workstations almost there. Right to the ground. Yeah, so if, like, someone's shoes break or there's a problem, he's there to fix it, tighten Fantastic. it. They say they're too big, too small. He'll do it all, right? He's doing this with everyone. It's like a temp in bowling. Yeah. You've got the bowling shoes and you've got a guy who can <laughs> who can fix them, yeah, fix yeah, them yeah. or change them on the spot. That's right. It's like a pit crew, you know. So he finds <laughs> Jesse Owens. Now, Jesse Owens doesn't speak German and AD doesn't speak, I was going to say English, but it's really American. Sure. But he pulls out his, the spikes he's made and sort of motions, could you try Check these on? So Jesse Owens tries them on and through just pure mimicking and miming, he says, okay, I'll try them out. So he tries them out in practice and then he decides, I'll wear them. So he wears them for the whole Olympics and he takes home four gold medals in the shoes. Fantastic. This... Absolutely catapults the orders. Now, finally enough, he doesn't. It just doesn't seem to annoy Hitler. Really, I would have thought that would be. I think treasonous. The, the suspicion is Hitler didn't really pick up on this, right? This is a big deal for athletes and stuff. But Hitler was more noticing the fanfare and all that, not yeah. what shoes and not concentrating on this aspect. Yeah, but this suddenly takes him out of Germany into being an international player. So suddenly, letters are coming in from the trainers of all other national teams, going, "Can we get your shoes?" So suddenly they are selling 200,000 pairs of shoes each year and these are high-end shoes for top-level athletes but they're doing really well. To the point they opened in 938, they opened another factory, this on the other side of the river back in their hometown and they've got 118 workers, 1,000 pairs of shoes have been pumped out every day and from 11 different sports. This is now big business. Big business, right? The two brothers are starting to have riffs. Rudolph is saying, well, I'm getting all these sales, but AD is obsessed about tinkering with the shoes and this is annoying Rudolph because it makes it harder to sell when they're changing all the time and AD doesn't care about the business side of things much. Yeah. If he can sit in a, in a workshop yeah. and just tinker on shoes all day and then talk to athletes directly and yeah. about improving their shoes, not business. That's all he's interested in. And Rudolph's going, well, I'm trying to run the business, mate. And I think Rudolph has some thing there because he can't be completely oblivious to the business side of things. But and So that's annoying them. AD, though, is annoyed because he sees Rudolph becoming basically a bully, loud, yeah. bullying him, bullying other people. And you can see with Rudolph, he was in World War One for four years, so that would have damaged him a bit. He then wants to become a police officer, really. Okay. He then is very keen Nazi. He's going to go up the ranks and here, then he's isn't bullying. he? So he's a bit of a... a Rudolph. There's a personality type there, right? <laughs> Rudolph could be bumped right up the Nazi ladder, I <laughs> Now, on top of this, the two Dassler wives, Friedel and Kata, yeah. don't get along. Right. Because so one's quite is, subservient. And the other one's outspoken, yeah. 80s wife's outspoken. And this isn't Germany at the time is seen as not really the place of a woman. And under the Nazis, the idea of a housewife is very big. You stay at home, raise the kids so we can have an army is is what they always, the propaganda all said. And that doesn't help. They're living in this mansion of three floors. It's known as the villa. Fritz the eldest stays in the original family home, but the upper floor of the new house is for the Dathler parents. Rudolph has the second floor in the middle with his family and AD has the ground floor. And this is where they're all under the same roof. 
and this yeah. creates tensions. Yeah. Friedel puts up with her husband, known as gallivanting, like I think cheating on her a bit, drinking and all that sort of stuff. So she puts up with this and Friedel is a model daughter-in-law. So she looks up to the parents. She's yep. submissive to everything sure. they want to happen, right? Yeah. She's like, how can I? Kata, on the other hand, does not get along with the in-laws. She's got complaints, opinions, ways of improving <laughs> things. She does look after her husband. She wakes up at four every morning to fry sausages. Oh, there you go. That's nice. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what time he woke up if she's getting up at four. <laughs> um, he used to be a baker. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's late for a baker. <laughs> that's, a, that's a sleeping. And she likes running things, so she's quite into taking charge of things and stuff, and that means that they find it. She's also very outgoing, and the Dasselov family, the older family, they find this very like, yeah. annoying, right? She sees them very... Odd and they but they get the eighty and eighty and who get on great. They're a little team, a little unit. Good. Now the Nazi Party is just impacting the family more and more. Like you can't live in Germany in this point, and the Nazi Party not. It just gets more and more intense, and it's harder and harder. Many people like this isn't to excuse all the Nazis because some people are more in it than others, but it's hard not to be a member of the Nazi Party. So they are signing off letters with Heil Hitler or the brothers. When you look at letters from that time. This is because your letters are being opened half the time, right? So people want to appear even in their correspondence. You want to be on board. They're on board. They're also got they're members of the National Socialist Drivers Corps, which is a training organisation that mainly gets members to look after how to run cars and motorcycles and fix them. Yep. Because this is all with an eye towards we're going to war. <laughs> yes. Rudolf, though, he keeps saying how great the Nazis are and their policies are fantastic and aren't they want to – and 80 is like finding this really increasingly annoying because he just wants to, it was to make deal shoes, with them, right? So he make shoes. Also, 80 gets a bit drawn because there's a, a guy who works for them. He's a name called Hans Zenger and he misbehaves during a visit by a high-ranking dignitary in 1937 to the town. Now, they don't say Hans how does. he – yeah. They don't say how he misbehaves. So 80 is ordered by the Nazi committee in town, you have to fire him. And he says, no, nah, just doesn't do it. Jeez. Oh, so he presents him. Now Zenger later says he knew if they sacked me, I'd end up on the front and he never sacked me and I never went to the front. So he says that's, he, owes him. he says he's not on board with the Nazis quite on the way that the rest are. Yeah. At the same time, Rudolf and Kata, 80's wife, yeah. and Rudolf start to really fall out. Rudolf starts to think that, She's hostile towards him and undermining his relationship with Aidy. So this is all what's happening as World War. She's Yoko. She's Yoko, Yoko. in his, in his yeah. mind. She's Yoko. Rudolph, though, basically wants everyone to do what he says and if they don't, he hates it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm getting this vibe. So World War II then breaks out. Worried about Rudolph. And this splits everything. The pressure of everything that's happening all the cracks that are starting to appear between yeah. the family and stuff. This changes everything. At the start of the war, 939, they have to report to the military draft, Fritz, Aidy and Rudolf. Aidy is in July 940, has to leave and serve as a radio operator in the Air Force. So he's gone. Also, the production of shoes drops significantly because of the war. I was going to say, wouldn't he be of more value producing well, we'll get Army to because they're sport shoes at this stage, yeah. right? So they have to close the second factory. Well, they still own it, but it's closed. On 23rd of January 941, 80s released from military duty 
as the Dassler brothers are suddenly instructed to produce 10,500 pairs of athletic shoes for the German army. Right. So to your point, that's where they're going. So they're doing all this. There's all these shortages of leather and everything, so they're having to do everything. The Nazi party is saying that you can't run a business without the Nazis really running it. So they start closing lots of businesses to send the men out to either fight or work at other factories. The Dassler factory keeps avoiding being shut because they're producing these shoes, but it's getting harder and harder. They have no staff, so they actually get given five Russian prisons of war to work in their factory and a bunch of refugees as well. And so they're all working there. Now, this isn't that weird because companies around the world, Converse, they have to make flying boots for the US Army Air Corps. Um, Gola, which is the biggest soccer boot maker in England at the time, they have to produce marching boots for soldiers. Yeah, so this is kind of normal, this is right? What's they're going on? Them. All hands on deck for the war effort. Now the town of Herzog and Orak, it's been left alone by the war pretty much. The family have turned the courtyard into a farm with chickens and pigs and all this. Right. So they're sort of feeding. The split starts to emerge even more because Maridi sister, so there's three brothers yeah. and a sister. She asked Rudolph, can you employ my son so they can avoid the war in the shoe factory? That's a fair request. Fair request. I would have thought. Rudolph says, no. (laughs) He says, we've got enough family problems at the factory and we're not introducing more. He absolutely refuses. That's cold. Betty Straza, who's Rudolph's sister-in-law, married to Friedel Mm. and living with them all, she says, Rudolph could be incredibly harsh and mean, which you picked up on early, right? Her two sons go off to war because of this. And they never come back. And okay. she never forgives him, as you can probably imagine. It's going to be quiet around the dinner table, isn't it? Family reunions. <laughs> yeah, that's you, people uh, think they're Christmas uh, dinners. Yeah. Uh, don't worry, we don't need to have to set any places for my children. <laughs> Takes Rudolph. No, no, we'll be right. They're not coming. It's nice to see your kids are here, yeah, Rudolph. great. That's a tough school, that is, Rudolph. <laughs> now... Fritz Dassler is also not on speaking terms with AD by this point. He sides more with Rudolph. He uh, owns a Lederhosen company. <laughs> so it's so German. You can't, you can't write this. He's been turned into an army pouch manufacturer for soldiers, right. right? But he was protecting a teenage seamstress in his factory from having to be taken away on the war effort. And he basically decides he'd done a deal with Adolf to protect her at his factory. And then halfway through the war, he goes, I can't be bothered with this. She's, I'm not protecting her anymore. So AD takes her in for four years, for the rest of the four years, and protects her at the shoe factory. So Fritz and Rudolf are like very bought into the German cause. One night, the Allied bombers are starting to bomb around this area. So Nuremberg and things like this. So they have to keep going down to the bomb shelter. So one time Rudolf Dassler comes down to the family bomb shelter and already he's got his son Armin who, and then Friedel and his sister Betty are there. And then Kata and Aidy come down and the bombers are flying overhead and Aidy says, the Schweinhunde, which means the pig dogs, are back. Now Betty says, you know, I mean, she's Rudolf's brother-in-law, says it's obvious Aidy is talking about the bombers. But <laughs> Rudolf decides that he's talking about them about him and his wife. So he thinks the big dogs are back and preventing him. He jumps up and starts abusing AD about it. Yeah. And Betty says it was impossible to persuade Rudolph that the comment was not directed at him. Impossible. So even Betty's sister-in-law yeah, and his okay. wife, they all think Rudolph's nuts, right? 
Hitler then calls in 1943 for the complete mobilization of the German people to put an end to the war. The war's not going well. So he says everyone has to fight the war in some way, whether you're working at home or whatever. So as part of this, any man aged 16 to 65 and women aged 17 to 45 can be asked directly to defend the Reich, right? Which means Rudolf is drafted in to reinforce a regiment in Saxony and Adolf Dassler is told, you keep running the factory. This infuriates Rudolf. Adolf is more important than me to the shoemaking. Well, he, he, well, he kind of is. Well, he is, but R- Rudolf is not thrilled about it. He doesn't this. see it that way. So he says, this is outrageous. He thinks his brother too has plotted to get him sent away. <laughs> He's got problems. He's got problems, right? He thinks this is a power play over the shoe yeah. factory. So at the beginning of April 1943, Rudolf has moved to the customs apartment in a small town called Tushin. It's on the eastern outskirts near Lodz, which has a famous Jewish ghetto there. A lot of not good things is going on yeah. there in Poland. Rudolf claims to have night blindness, so he gets an office job. And it's quite good, but he's so angry, even though he's escaping having to hold a gun, he's so angry with his brother. He writes a letter to his brother that says, I will not hesitate to seek the closure of the factory so that you will be forced to take up an occupation that will allow you to play the leader and as a first-class sportsman to carry a gun. So he's basically saying, I'm going to actively try and get... Shut the thing so you have to go. So you have to go and fight the war. (laughs) So in December 1943, the Dassler firm gets told, you're not allowed to make shoes anymore. You're going to make Panzerschrecks, which are bazookas basically to blow up tanks, anti-tanks weapons. So all the shoe-making stuff's replaced by welding machines. <laughs> they're shoulder-fired tubes like yeah. a bazooka, so they're all making these everywhere. All the people who are making shoes are suddenly doing this. This is what's happening across Germany, mm. right? This comes to the point where for years later the town will know this legacy because even after the war, even now, many of the town's gutters and fence posts are the Panzer Shrek <laughs> tubes. Oh, Lord. Right. This is the time where Hugo Boss textile factories take over. I was about to over. ask where he's in all this because he, Hugo Boss, famously made costumes for the Nazis. Yeah, but the thing about that is he didn't make design them. Everyone thinks like Hugo Boss designed the Nazi right. uniforms. He wasn't. His factory was told to make them. And in Germany, if you said you didn't no, do it, you got so... shot. So it was like. You he know, didn't put his hand up. This is not me defending everyone who was involved in <laughs> Nazism. He seemed to be fairly way. sympathetic. On the whole, <laughs> got a bit brutal. If you, over if you take out a few yeah. bits of this, you you talking about uh, me having a well thumbed mind camp, <laughs> being pro Hugo Boss. I just want to put on record that I'm not pro Nazi. You so, are wearing jodhpurs. <laughs> I just love a good goose step. That's yeah. all. Lufthansa, who are the airline manufacturers, they make radar equipment for the Luftwaffe. Sure. Furniture companies are making parts of fighter jets, the Hinkle HE-162, which is the first ever military jet. They are helping because they don't have enough metal, so it's made out of wood. So this is all like happening. A fighter jet? Yeah. Made out of wood? Yeah. Germany are not having... They're on the ropes. They're on the ropes, right? That's not a good look. Rudolf is doing everything he can to try and get the plant taken off. (laughs) Jesus In the middle of the war, right? This is like 9.34 it's getting into and he's still trying to undermine 80 rather than the war's going on. He He tries to get the government. He's connected to a lot of Nazis. He's saying, let's go back to making army boots because he's got a patent for a certain army boot, but it's defective. The army look at the patent and go, this is no no good. And they say, bad luck. And meanwhile, he's in Poland the Red Army tanks are right on his doorstep. 
So at the beginning of 945, the Russians are so close that Rudolph becomes a bit like, this isn't great yeah. for me. Wait he, a check, please. Also, his unit has been integrated into the SS, Himmler's secret police. Okay. The SS, for anyone who not a World War II buff, kind of the worst of the Nazis. The ones right at the top. A end. lot of the atrocities, true believers, did a lot of the worst stuff in the war. Bit of torture involved. And out and out shooting, massacres, all sorts yeah. of things. Now, he said years later, and there's a bit of covering up from his Nazi past, my disapproval of Himmler's police rule, the proximity of the front and the fact the war had been long been lost promised me to refuse any further military duties. So he basically does a runner. Yep. And he ends up back home and he gets the local physician to give him a medical certificate saying he had a frozen foot <laughs> to get out of it. Yeah. So the war is in its absolute dying days. We're in the last six months of the war. The Soviets and the Americans are closing in all around. Yep. And... He hears that his former unit that he's gone AWOL from have been disbanded and killed or captured by the Soviet soldiers. So he's dodged, literally dodged yeah. a bullet there. But it's still going on. And in the dying days of the war, the SS and the Gestapo was to yeah. motivate around a fight to the death. Anyone that's like not done the right thing, they're rounding up. Yeah, so they sure. arrest Rudolph. He's got a doctor's the certificate. <laughs> the doctor's certificate does not help. So he's sent to a frozen foot. <laughs> he's sent to a Look cell near Berlin. He's refusing to join the intelligence service, right? So he says that's why they've arrested him. They start right looking into all of this. At one point, though, finally, he gets told that they are going to be marched away, and they're going to go to Dachau, and basically, it looks like they're all going to be killed. And along the way, the physics men are being walked by this captain. Ludwig Muller, and he is told by a local SS officer, shoot all the prisoners, which includes yep. Rudolph. Okay. He ignores it, keeps leading the prisoners further south, but they get intercepted by the Americans and the Americans say, release all these guys, send them home. So he then walks home. The war's over for him. He walks home and he says, when I came back on foot on May 1st, 945, my brother and his wife were unpleasantly surprised. They had not thought I would return. Wasn't a warm welcome? Wasn't a warm welcome. At the factory before Rudolph arrives back, US tanks pull up in front of the Dassler factory. They've heard that there's SS officers in there and there's not. Suddenly they're confronted by uh, Kata Dassler. She walks out. She's 28 by now. Seen a lot. Yeah. She walks out and says, don't destroy this factory. All we want to do is make sports shoes. And she charms them and she mentions that this is where Jesse Owen's shoes were made for the Olympics. And the Americans are like, really? <laughs> also, she says, we've got this amazing mansion next door. While you're here, because they're occupying do, the do town, do you want to stay here? Yeah. And they go, this is the best town. Like, So they go, fine. She saves the factory and the thing. Good on her. They actually start saying, because they're there, they all want to play sports. So they start ordering and paying for shoes. shoes. Oh, so they fantastic. sort of start to save the factory again. So yeah. this suddenly thing. And once again, 80s out in the countryside getting fuel tanks and rafts and canvas and states against yeah. the bank shoes. Rudolph is then arrested by the Americans. <laughs> he's, not having, he's not having a good run, Rudolph. <laughs> so Rudolph, the, the Americans take him. It's an automatic arrest for people who've held high-ranking positions in specific Nazi organisations. Yeah. Now, they suspect him of working in the intelligence service doing counter-espionage and censorship, and they think all the th stories that we've heard about his travels, even the arrest by the Gestapo, 
are covers for his real work. Real work. Do you believe, think there's something to this? Well, the investigations uncover more information as they investigate him, right? Mm. So he's in, he's locked up and they find out, yep, he joined the Nazi Party at 9.33 like the rest, which is pretty early. Yes. He also volunteered for the Wehrmacht, the army, in 9.41. So earlier than he goes, he's yeah. volunteered. He's put his hand up. But they don't take him straight away and they think that's because he's been working on a whole bunch of looking into individuals and, and dobbing on people doing um, smuggling and things like that. It sounds like Rudolph. So they think the reason he stayed out of the war for so long is yeah. because he was doing yeah. spying for the Gestapo. Unbelievable. They also thought that when he was in Nuremberg in March, he was reporting to the Gestapo on a daily basis. He wasn't actually under arrest. He was just going in there every day to report right? stuff and working for them. They were convinced he was lying. The US officer also wrote in his report, according to his wife, he actually worked there. So if Friedel says, yeah, he worked there, yeah. so they don't help him in covering. Yeah. They interview Adolf Dessler and he says that, yeah, he worked there. And so Rudolf finds this out and thinks, my brother's done me in here. <laughs> he's, right? he's pretty paranoid, Ralph yeah. Rudolph. <laughs> they think the whole claim of him being sent to Dachau and marched by the Gestapo is his friends all covering up for him, yeah. right, all the other Gestapo members, right? So this is going so badly for him and the work he's done in Poland and stuff and his party affiliation and how much he believes in the Nazis. They basically think he can't get away scot-free. And so he's about to basically go down. But what suddenly happens is the Americans go, we've got hundreds of thousands of these people in prisons. We can't afford to do this. We're going to get the country moving again. And so they basically decide that anyone who is not a direct security threat is free to go. Gets a pass. So he dodges Rudolph and goes home. And it's ugly scenes because he starts accusing his brother and Kata of you set me up, you tried to get me sent away, and it was all a play to get the factory. It's all a play to get the shoe thing. So he's going absolutely nuts at them, right? They're still living under the same roof and all this stuff, right? (laughs) Adolf Dassler has his own problems. He has a case before the, there's a denazification panel. In every town in Germany, the occupiers, yeah. the Americans and the Russians, that's setting up anti-Nazi right. investigations. And two weeks before Rudolf gets out, he is classified as a bellister, which is meaning that he was actively contributing to the Nazi regime and personally profited to it. Now, this written ruling from the local panel... Yeah. It's terrible fat off because it means he can't run the factory and he's probably going to have to give it up, sell it. Rudolph can't run the factory, but Rudolph can. is still in prison at this point. So they don't know. He hasn't uh, been freed yet, right? Uh, so it looks like both the brothers. But Adolf is not allowed to run the factory. Neither of them are at this point. It looks like both of them are out of the game. Now, Rudolph, we know he's going to get freed, but at this point, he's not. Adolf appeals and he pulls together a, a whole bunch of witnesses. One of them is the mayor's office. And it says, in contrast with his brothers, this is what the mayor writes. Aidy is appreciated in the community and contrary to his brothers, he was ready to help anyone. They basically say, unlike his brothers, he's not a true Nazi. Yeah. The former mayor before Nazism has been called Valentin Froluck. During the wartime, he had impeccable behaviour. He was anti-Nazi and everything. So he's suddenly the one advising sure. who's a bad guy who's not. Well, you take his word. He says, anybody who knows Adolf Dassler would acknowledge that he's a man who's always prepared to help regardless of status or political opinion. So he writes a thing saying this guy's not. Mm-hmm. He argues that Adolf's just had political ignorance signing up to the Nazis but never actually cared about it and he only ever yeah. cared about sport. 
He also says that he never went to political rallies. He was never into all of that stuff. He'd been a member of heaps of sport clubs before the war, including the Liberal Gymnastics Club and the Conservative Soccer Club and even a workers' sports club. He also helped out the local Communist Party sport club. So he was like, as long as they're playing sport, he doesn't yeah, care that about the politics. Yeah, common right? denominator. Also says when it comes to his relationship with the Jews, Adolf continued to deal with the Jewish leather traders long after it became politically incorrect. Yeah. So he stuck in there and helped them. That's a fair case. The opening and closing thing that helps him is he gets a letter from Hans Wormer, who's mayor of the adjoining village. He's half Jewish. And he says that Adolf Dassler during the war warned him that he was about to be arrested by the Gestapo and hit him on his property. Yeah. And he says a true supporter of Adolf Hitler would certainly not have done this. He risked his whole family sure, for absolutely. me. So because of this, they also say, well, he did profit from the factory. And AD points out, we were flying before the war yeah. with the Berlin Olympics and everything like that. The minute the war happened, we lost all our money. And by the end, we were losing 100,000 rush marks every single year, which is yeah. a lot of money, right? This doesn't exactly clear him. He gets downgraded to a minder bellister, which means that you're guilty, but you weren't as involved. Right. And he's still probably going to be in trouble and won't be able to run the factory for two years. He's on two years probation and his brother will get the factory because Rudy's now clear. This is not good. Rudy's thrilled with this and Rudy is actively trying to get the committee to make sure this sticks. How can Rudy be okay to run the factory and aiding? Well, this is the thing. So both brothers have now got to the point where they're trying to like take the other one out. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> so... Aidy hires a lawyer to appeal it and this is when Rudolph starts to say, hey, was Aidy idea to do the weapons in the factory? It was, yeah. He starts flying on thick. Kata Dessler is absolutely furious, starts going Rudolph. It's like... <laughs> they're all still um, living together? <laughs> yeah, they're all still in that same house, right, <laughs> while this is all going on. Aidy finally manages to point out that of the 60 people in his factory, only one was a party member that the five Russian prisoners of wars that worked in the factory got the same meals and looked after. Yeah. And they all say, yeah, we got looked after really well and all that. So he was saying that he even gave them extra rations. So he gets, at the end of this appeal, he gets downgraded to a Mittlaffer, which is one of the millions of Germans who are party members but didn't actively contribute. And this means suddenly he can run, the he can run it. Yes. He's out. So they yeah. decide that they will go their separate ways. Okay. They will split into two different shoe companies. One, AD has in the original factory and the second factory that had been closed, Rudolph takes across the river, takes that. Wow. Marie, who never forgave Rudolph, moves in with AD and Kate in the villa. Rudolph moves out and moves across the river to the other side. So, so you take the parents? He takes the parents because the parents hate Kata. Good. So in their separation... They divide all the firm's assets right down to shoeboxes. Everything gets divided. You've got to remember everyone in the town at this point works for the shoe factory. Yeah. Except for a few people, but almost everyone. And they have to decide what shoe factory they want to go work in. So it splits the town literally down the middle. The river becomes like a Berlin Wall. One side <laughs> is Rudolph's, the other side is 80, and they barely interact. Wow. They hate each other, even the rest of the family, right? It becomes the norm for people not to like it. They're all working for one of them. Mm. To the point where stores, bakers and bars and all this stuff, they're either loyal to Rudolph or Adolf's new company and they won't work in the other one. 
There's two soccer teams, one for 80s side of the river. Rudolph's is the other. And there's no intermarriage. If you work for 80, you don't marry someone from Rudolph's factory and vice versa. This is amazing. Right? Rudolph's family side of the river is Catholic and politically conservative. 80s is Protestant and socially democratic, right? Now, we might leave it there, but before we go, the two businesses they set up, Rudolph decides to name his new business Ruda, which is short for Rudolph Dassler. So like they were getter. Take the first yeah. two letters of each of the thing. He decides that Rudolph is actually a terrible name. So he renames his business and he calls it Puma. <laughs> yes. AD sets up his new business across the river and he registers his company doing the same thing he takes from AD and from Dassler and names there it Adas. But it's rejected because there's a shoe manufacturer called Adas. So he handwrites on the registration form and puts an I in between the AD and the DS, and his new company is going to be called Adidas. Wow. So suddenly you have, on both sides of this tiny medieval village at the end of World (laughs) War II, a company called Puma and a company called Adidas. Here we go. And it's born out of And it's born out of family feud. And in our next episode, we're going to cover off how this family feud that never ends drives these two companies to become the two biggest sports companies in the world. This is epic. And to think he could have been a baker. (laughs) To to think he could have made giant pretzels. He would have made good giant pretzels. Oh, the best. Well, I cannot wait till our next instalment. Thank you again, Titus O'Reilly. And ladies and gentlemen, now we have a short outtake from our bonus episode we do every week from the Bazaar Plus membership program. When I had my boys, yeah. so I was with my partner and she finally convinced me to go to an ultrasound. We weren't together at the time and she was going to have this baby and I went, okay, well, let's give it a go and if that's what you want to do, I'll support you in this. And But I had not a lot of interest in going to the uh, ultrasound and she eventually talked me into it and we're going, all right, here we go. She goes in and I'll go, I'll wait out the front. You know, you go do that. You're going to wait out the front. I'll, I'll, have, a, front. I'll have a dart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I want to come back to the nurse. goes, oh, I've got a room for you two. I go, whatever, well, a room for you two. I don't need a room. Just show me the pictures. So <laughs> they show me the picture and I go, why aren't they taking it twice? Oh. <laughs> and it had never, ever occurred to me that it could possibly be twins. Yeah. And at that point, <laughs> let's just say, Poker face is not my strong suit. <laughs> and, and what ensued was one of the quietest trips home in a car you've ever, ever. It was raining. I remember the windscreen wipers were, were squeaking. <laughs> There's nothing more silent than cold. a car There wasn't a lot of chat. But it's worked out brilliantly on several levels because yeah. your boys are great. But secondly, you've got a lot of mileage out of saying which one's your favourite on radio <laughs> on regular occasions. <laughs> Hey, can we hurry this up? Because they're in a car out the front now. <laughs> I've let the window down a bit. That's a short clip from our bonus episode each week for members who join our Bazaar Plus program. If you're interested in signing up to that and hearing more of it, simply go to the link in the show notes or go to bazaarplus.com. <laughs>